Welcome to Emma Twemley. Can you hear us, Emma? Now I can. Now I can. Excellent. Sorry, I... Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I should be all right because my kids are all asleep, so they're not <laughs> using my Wi-Fi. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast, Emma. Certainly someone who plays an important part in our lives with the uh, organisation that you do for the Glastonbury Festival down in Devon. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure, finally. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll come on and talk about the festival shortly. Um, before that, we'll talk about some of your sort of discoveries of music as you were growing up. Um, and it'd be great to hear about what it's like for someone who's front and centre of organising a music festival. <laughs> yeah, front and centre would be the um, the opera ticket. Yeah, it's me at this laptop <laughs> that needs to be upgrading. <laughs> so as you may know, we like to start off our podcast by asking our guests where they came across music, how did they discover it, were they playing it? Yeah, well, when I was seven, um, my grandfather bought me a violin and I started taking violin lessons. Um, and my parents had always played music in the house, but um, neither of my parents were particularly musical, but my grandparents, so my grandma on my mum's side had a piano and we were constantly, you know, she would sit and play the piano and we'd sing and Christmas time was always about singing carols on the piano. So, uh, and she was a great singer. She'd sing everywhere. She'd sing walking down the road. You know, I remember as a child and growing up into being a teenager, being totally embarrassed about her singing out loud. Um, and yet now it's just amazing. I wish I could turn the clock back. Yeah, she she'd sing and we'd go and watch musicals. She'd take me to the theatre. So I was really open to kind of musical productions as a child. Um, you know, our family was, and we do concerts, you know, as, as kids we'd put on concerts and learn songs and I remember learning uh, Cliff Richard's Wired for Sound, word for word, I can still sing it, word for word, um, with all the actions and doing a show for everybody. Um, and then obviously playing the violin and having lessons in, a viol in the violin um, just introduced me to the whole classical style of music, you know, so I just think if you've, if you've learned a musical instrument, it's invaluable and it gives you a real appreciation of how music works and, and composition and everything so you know through my whole school um, school ages I was playing the violin and I joined the East Hearts Orchestra and I got to kind of grade seven um, and I loved I absolutely loved the violin but obviously as I as I got to a teenager it clashed with my social life and boyfriends and everything else so I never pursued it further, sadly. Um, but it definitely, I think, gave me that grounding and appreciation in music. Plus, um, also, when I was as a teenager, and you know, it was very different back then because you didn't have the access to the internet and the, the amazing music that we have now. You know, at the touch of a button. But as a teenager, I would spend an inordinate amount of time going to gigs. So you know, I was up on the steps at Wembley when Madonna came over and Michael Jackson and you know all, all of the big production concerts that went on at Wembley a group of us would just go down from the age of about 14 15 would be down there in awe of what these artists were doing on the stage you know um, and not just their music but just the whole production the, the lighting the you know the fireworks the the, the stage sets everything um, and so, yeah, I was constantly, you know, heading to gigs. And by the time I kind of moved to London and then I, I, had, I worked for British Airways, so not in the industry at all, but I worked for, at the airport. Um, and I, I was still going out to gigs, you know. I was going to see um, small gigs in different venues. And, um, and but I never really, to be honest, I never really thought of myself as a, a music kind of, a, you know, I don't, I still don't feel that I'm, an, an expert in music, although I do realise I know a little bit more than I thought I did. Um, mm -hmm. But I just loved it. I absolutely loved the whole. Um, it was for me more about the show. It was more about what, how someone could make their audience feel when they're on stage. 
Mm. Um, just through music, through the way they perform, through how they interact with their audience, you know, and that that was kind of I, I've never really thought about it until now. Um, a few interviews have asked me about why I started the festival, and I've never really looked back to see what influenced me and why, because the, the reason the festival started was very very different. Um, but when I look back, that's why, you know. And and then as a child, I remember listening to albums in my mum and dad's car. They had one of those those big tapes that were like a eight something or a they were like eight track. They were massive. They were like really big blocks <laughs> that you put into um, and you know, I, I remember listening to things like the Wurzels. I don't know if you, you know, and, and um, Abba and like the mo most random music. But as a child, singing "Amazing Grace" coming back from Scotland in the back of an MGBGT in as many bars as I possibly could with my brother, and it's little things like that that I think just give you a real appreciation of music. So is that a case of the music that we hear when we're younger? They form our views, our tastes as we get older. Yeah, absolutely. And and you hear and I hear music now from that era, and it takes me right back. But yeah, I was very very proactive in if I wanted to see someone in concert, I would get in that car or get on that train, and I would travel wherever to see them. You know, and and it was all all for me about the feeling that they gave me, the whole atmosphere and everything. You know. Just to talking about the gigs that you went to, have you got one that's kind of a real standout that engaged you more than any other? Oh, see, this is where I wish I was trendy and I could come up with something really <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for me, I mean, you know, if you're looking at 14, 15, 16, to be at Wembley, um, watching someone like Madonna, Michael Jackson, yeah. Um, you know, they, they were huge. I, I, it's very hard now to find bands that can talk the kind of productions they could put on them because that it was it was phenomenal what they were doing, you know. Um very commercial obviously, but it was just this unbelievable feeling as a fifteen year old to stand in fact I was younger than that definitely, but just to be able to stand there and watch this this idol, you know, that had come over or, or legend. Um, you know, I, I've been really lucky to see a lot of big what I call legends. I saw Tony Bennett at the Royal Albert Hall. Still, absolutely brings bumps, you know. Um, um, five Star I went to see. I wouldn't say that's cool and I wouldn't say it stands out, but boys, it has some dance moves. <laughs> and just, I've been lucky enough to see Prince and, you know, Paul McCartney and, and the amount of small artists I've seen uh, in small live venues down here who just blow me away. Yeah, no, Lonely Eddie I saw at the Phoenix and, and he's played the festival a couple of times and the way he just creates an atmosphere is just phenomenal and um, you know on his own and he's just so in, in it you know at that moment that you just get drawn in and I think there are some incredible artists out there so for me I have to be honest though it's about the the way the music makes you feel and the whole production and the whole I did see Prince I remember seeing Prince when he was a symbol um, I was very disappointed because he played none of the Prince tracks <laughs> um, I did see Depeche Mode recently, who really let me down. I didn't enjoy it at all. I, I love Depeche Mode, and I was so looking forward to it. Um, and I, it just wasn't the best best gig I've been to. But I'm still there for them if they want me to go back. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm like, I do go to a lot of a lot of music gigs. Um, not so much at the moment. Not so much as I want to because I'm just so busy. But yeah, I do try and get out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Depeche Mode fan. That what was the reason that didn't connect with you? Why did it not? They they just okay. So it was at a stadium. It was at the new stadium in London, um, in the in the docks in East London, um, the Olympic Stadium or somewhere around there near Stratford, and they just they didn't connect with me. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would disagree. Um, maybe the ones that were right down the front, but they just didn't connect. In the in the, you know the atmosphere wasn't there in the stadium and there wasn't a lot of interaction. I like it when um, an artist talks to you, um, you know, when they actually interact and discuss and and everything else. Um, and I just yeah, I just felt like there wasn't. I didn't feel like I was at their gig. You know, I like it when a, an artist appreciates their audience. Um, you know, when I'm looking at artists to play the festival and who I want to put on a stage, it's really important to me as how they're going to make my audience feel. And 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 I just didn't get it from Depeche Mode, you know. Um, and and I, there's also this thing that you know you go to a big concert like that and you kind of expect to hear some of the songs 
that really got you into them back in the day. Um, the ones that kick back those memories for you, and they did not make a big deal of them, you know. And I, I understand that bringing in new music, and I understand that playing new stuff is really important. Of course it is, but I also think that um, when people have travelled a long way to see you in a massive stadium to to hear those tracks, would have been fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah. I think sometimes you know an artist forgets. I will admit to, and I'm sure you know already. I am a massive Bon Jovi fan. Again, I'm not very cool, um, but I have seen you know ever since I was 15 years old and they first uh, started out over here. Um, you know, I am. I love what they do and I love their music. And it really, when I think about it, it's because of the way they make me feel at a live show. And it's the way they they perform with their audience. You know, they're not there going, hi, look at us, everybody. They're kind of, come on, we are all going to have a really good time tonight. And that's that, to me, is what, you know, endears you to an artist, is when you feel like you know them, you feel like you're part of what they're doing. Absolutely. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Just the stage presence. Um, and and the appreciation of the people who are listening and what that music does for those people is is really important. My children are all in music now and they've got bands and stuff. And you know, I re we really talk about that a lot about how the music that you make touches people, and and that is in turn how you make a difference with what you're doing. Well, now I guess now you've mentioned um, at the moment your family, the music connections in the family. Tell us a little bit more about that and any other music connections that you have. Yeah, so, well, my, yeah, my, my, going back to my uh, grandmother was really musical and everything. And then when I, um, I was, I worked in the travel industry, so something completely different. You know, I worked for airlines and um, shipping companies and all sorts in kind of logistical planning, which I think is where my uh, skill set was born as far as uh, running a festival. But um, right. the, when I had kids, um, you know, I was always playing music and stuff and always singing and um, introducing them. And my husband at the time, uh, Jim, who is a ventriloquist, I must give him a big shout out. Uh, Jimmy Tamley is one of the best ventriloquists in the world, actually. Um, yeah. But he, um, you know, he, we used to take them to shows and we used to take them on cruise ships. They'd watch a lot of stuff, you know, they'd watch a lot of, of the industry and listen to people and... Um, and I, you know, I never played the violin in front of them. We've got a piano in the house, but I didn't really play the piano in front of them. But they just, for some reason, they just have this incredible skill. And when Billy was, I've got five children, and Billy, who's the youngest, when he was four, he had a drumming session at school. Um, and the teacher said to me at the end of the day, you know, my goodness, he has got rhythm. <laughs> and this was at four. And, and I think by the time he was about six or seven he had a little drum kit uh, and he really just completely blew us away and as a parent you know you're always a bit biased and you're kind of like wow but actually I was I'm quite a critical parent when it comes to music because I'm so busy booking other artists and ch looking at other bands and stuff um, and then when my so Billy then has progressed on over the years to now be in his own band uh, called Cold Lips uh, mm they're all 15 years old um, they're writing their own stuff they've got an EP coming out and really seriously I, I'm in awe of what he's doing you know he's he's prolifically writing <laughs> um, and skilled in what he does and he's coming up with some really really good stuff you know if I saw them and it, and it wasn't him and I saw that band coming up they would be on the stage at Glastonbury regardless you know um, I mean, I do have the, um, I do take the prerogative of parents to, to be able to put them on a stage, obviously, but I wouldn't do it if they weren't good enough. And they really are a very talented uh, bunch of boys who are going to go far and, and absolutely passionate about music. And then with the girls, Alice and Katie, who are my twins, um, they, I never knew they could sing. <laughs> I never heard them singing until I went to a school concert. I was sat in the audience kind of knowing they were coming up, you know, and they came on stage and I was kind of, you know, I was watching as a mum, you watch, but I wasn't really, and then they started singing and I just cut my mouth, my jaw dropped and I was just like, wow, their harmonies are, are unbelievable and 
they've been just practicing in the in, in their bedroom and at school and I've not really taken any notice and now they they have a band called Kindred um, Billy is in it with them and Ben who's my technical production manager at the festival he's in it and uh, Robin Alexander who's an incredible drummer and again they're writing incredible music they're you know um, and I'm not involved you know it's nothing to do with me it's all them <laughs> they're just getting on with it um, and so yeah my house is full of music you know every room there's someone singing writing recording the garden they're in the garden playing you know um, and my other two children Ellie and Grace are uh, constantly just saying oh dinner's delayed because they're doing another live broadcast or dinner's delayed because we've got to play it, you know <laughs> So yeah, yeah, um, it's a it's a house full of music, and I'm very proud of them. And and actually, Billy, funny enough, Billy, I knew could play the guitar and the drums and every instrument that he picks up, but I didn't know Billy could sing until he said to me, "Can we do a gig um, at Ellie's birthday party, his older sister's birthday party?" And I was like, "Of course you can," you know, thinking it was going to be a um, just you know a bit of music that they were going to show us what they've been doing. Yeah. And he opened his mouth and the whole room, it was all the Glastonbury team and everybody, and we all just kind of did a double take and went, wow. Um, and it, I'd never heard him sing, not even in the shower, in his bedroom. No, <laughs> no, I've never heard him sing. So definitely there's a, um, a talent in there that, you know, is not, nothing to do with me, but perhaps, perhaps a lot to do with what they're, you know, open to and what they hear and the artists that they're watching and the festival and stuff like that. So... Yeah, they're lucky, very lucky. Excellent. Well, I've, I've seen Kindred a couple of times before, and they're extremely good, but not Cold Lips yet, so I need oh, to look them. Yeah, Kindred, Kindred are, um, you know, the girls are at uni, and Ben's down here in Devon working, and Robin is in Exeter, and so they, they're not getting to do a lot. You know, the only time they're really gigging is when they come back to the festival and they can get up and do something. But mm. lips are on it, you know. They're really on it, and they're very, um, very kind of Arctic monkeys. Um, they're, they're one of their icons. is twin. They absolutely adore Twin Peaks from Chicago, and yeah. who, who actually we saw in Bristol a few weeks ago. One of the last fans I saw before all this happened, um, and they're awesome. They're fantastic. Check out Twin Peaks if you haven't. Um, but yeah, Billy, Billy, they're kind of that's that, that's their style, you know. Very, and yet they've just come up with two. Uh, they're releasing an EP at the moment, and they've released these days, which is really rocky, um, quite heavy, raw, you know. And then they, the second track was Only Rain, which is really melodic and guitar riffs and completely different kind of genre, which I absolutely love. I love the fact they, they're able to mix it up, you know. Um, and they're learning. Everything they're doing, they're learning all the time. Excellent. Really good. A couple of names to listen out for then. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, yeah. A, bit of a bit of a plug there. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's why I do what I do. Um, when you see your kids inspired by what you're doing and when you see them learning from what you do, you keep doing what you do. And that's, you yeah. know, it all comes round in the end. I guess we better move on a bit to Glastonbury. But you hinted that there was a very a different reason why you started it all up. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, um, Glastonbury, um, back in 2012, I was on the PTA um, with the school, uh, Denbury School, and I was chair, chair of the PTA, and we used to do lots and lots of events. Mm. Um, and back in 2012, I think it was, we were going to do a summer fate as normal, and I said, why don't we do a music event? Because, you know, I had a lot of contacts in the production world and, you know, people who had stages, people who had lighting. Um, you know, I knew a lot of people, entertainers and a lot of musicians. And in the village, we had an awful lot of adults and children who, who were musicians. And they said, okay, I'm off you go, do it. And so I went off and um, organized just, you know, one stage and a bar. That was how it started, really. And it, it was absolutely successful apart from we did have a 50 mile an hour storm the night before which took out nearly every gazebo that we put up and the rain came and it was very muddy um, but it was an incredible event and everyone loved it and it it kind of kick-started me every, everyone kept saying come do it again do it again and by 2013 I thought okay I can do this uh, but I need to do it properly I need to do it you know licensed and um, kind of really look into it and I literally did kind of like a four-month crash course degree in event management um, alongside all the agencies the police and environmental health and the council and everyone 
and set up, you know, the whole thing and brought together everybody in the village and all the team and anyone who wanted to be involved and anyone who wanted to um, have a platform for what they were doing, you know, and, and that's how it started. So it wasn't, I didn't sit up and think, I'm going to run a festival now or this is what I need to do as a career. It just kind of happened and from then on it's every year it's just kept happening and people love it and when people love what you're doing you kind of feel like you need to keep going and then we started getting awards and it's like oh actually this is lovely and, and I can see what it does for so many people you know and that's why I do it that's that's quite simply the only reason I do it you know because I see what it does for everyone else brilliant lovely reason doing it excellent I'm sure you're familiar with the Brooks family um, got a good friend, Mike. He went with me, I think, the, the first or second time that I went there. And I remember when we were entering into the field, he said, David, I really find this quite strange because when I used to play around here as a kid, I used to come over from home. We used to bring a ball and we used to kick around in this field. And now to see it as a festival is just a very strange experience. Oh, that's so nice. I hope he enjoyed it. I hope it wasn't too strange. Far from it, both him and his wife Maggie are, are huge music fans and they attend whenever they can. And you would have seen Mike with Glorious Chorus when they performed there uh, maybe a couple of times, I think, so far. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, there's a guy in the village, um, Julian Head, actually, who um, the very first last day, no, 2013, he stood on the field and I, I was walking across the field, head down as usual, kind of, on route to do something and he stopped me and he said Emma I've always dreamt about being able to have a music festival in Denbury and thank you so much and you know that's why I, it really really simply is why I do it because it's about me being able to bring things to people when, when I moved down to Southwest I used to live up in um, I come from Hertfordshire originally and then I lived in London and then lived in Hampshire and when I came down to Southwest the biggest thing that I missed is not being able to have access to, or at the time, not being able to have access to, you know, the music and the gigs and the shows and the events and the amount of artists who don't make it down here to the southwest. Um, you know, you see their tours and they're everywhere, but down here, and you think, really, you know. And I was determined to find a balance between giving a platform for southwest, not just music, but you know, poetry, entertainers. Um, people who've got skills in the production, you know, youngsters, students, all that kind of stuff, give them a platform for what they can do, but also to bring the odd thing down from further afield and introduce people to things. So, you know, Electric Swing Circus, um, when we first had them, Tom from Electric Swing Circus, his parents live in Denbury, and people had not heard of Electric Swing down here, you know, they maybe never seen it, or Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer, a bit of chat pop. Um, you know, and, and also to be able to put on bands and, you know, Scar and um, stuff that people wouldn't necessarily, and even the poetry tents, people wouldn't necessarily go to a poetry evening. Um, no. You know, Joe, Joe Bloggs from Denbury would no more think, oh, let's go to a poetry evening tonight. But once they've been exposed to it at a festival, um, they'll go, they'll think about going or they'll start following that artist or... Um, and that's that's absolutely my passion. It's almost like enabling people. It's it's bringing something to them easily that then enables them to go out and really um, get involved, you know. And and Glastonbury really was a is a festival for well, when I started, it was kind of a festival for people who don't do festivals, you know, the people that think, oh no, that's not my cup of tea. And then they walk into the field and think, oh, actually, this is. This isn't what I anticipated a festival to be. You know, festivals have got a bit of a bad rap over the years. And I wanted to create something that they knew they, that any age could come to, that kids could come, youngsters, teenagers could come, that it was safe, and that it introduces people to the skill sets and the incredible talents that we've got down here. You know, so that's, yeah, that's how it all started. And, and now it's um, this big ball that's rolling that I just, keep running on top of <laughs> well darren we've been to a, a two three maybe uh, at least uh, i'm sure you've got some highlights that you can think of yeah there's a couple um i always remember having a really really good dance to a band i think they were called society rocks <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I had a lot to drink by then, to be fair. But it was a really, really good bit of fun. Um, Doctor and the Medics as well, wasn't it? I think one year. Oh yeah. So Society Rocks um, were—I absolutely adored those guys. They—they've changed uh, names now to Hybrid Five, but I mm. absolutely adored them as a covers band. And I—and you know this. A lot of people had long conversations with me about whether there's a place for covers bands at festivals, and I really passionately think there is because, you know, um, we all want to hear original music for sure. We want to, you know, see all of that. But equally, there are moments when you've had a few drinks and you want to be able to sing along with something that, you know, um, that, that you know. And Society Rocks, I think, are one of the best, um, you know, covers bands in this southwest and never fail to get you on your feet and dancing and a really lovely group of chaps as well um doctor and the medics now there's a little there's a i have an absolute place in my heart for um doctor and the medics they did i think 2013 uh one of our first, was it 13 or 14 my head's spinning really but they came and did which when we had a big dome we had a massive massive dome and the sound in that dome was a nightmare to try and sort out and, and we didn't get the dome up until the night before the festival was due to start so production were working through the night to get in and set up it was a really stressful stressful year that year and for one reason or another and um doctor and the medics came in and just put on the best party set ever you know and and i have to say that the doctor himself clive jackson is now one of my absolute rocks he is um a great friend and motivator for me and when I'm at my lowest he's the one that's keeping me going um, behind the scenes you know and absolutely mm. championing what I'm doing and, and he's just one of the most phenomenal people I've ever met and and um, yeah ah oh, god I can't I have to say was due to be playing this year <laughs> I haven't said that out loud at all ever oh, this oh, year oh. this is the first time I've said that but um Wow. Yeah, he was due to be coming back, so they they will be coming back. They are just an amazing party band and something that you know at the end yeah. of the night you want. He's a, he's a quality performer and um, has been around, seen it, done it, and absolutely champions everything that we do. Um, and all you know, anyone who puts on any live music, anyone who who works really hard to do like we do you know to do what we do he he just champions us and i adore him so i'm really glad you said that darren that was <laughs> really precious to me you know yeah we didn't plan that before i guarantee you no we didn't i'm really understand <laughs> what about you david personally i tend to find two three artists a year maybe more who, who i then start to follow so it's always been very productive for me um, and i'm thinking back to last year in fact it was a tribute band the, the one who were playing on the main stage i can't quite remember their name but musically they're all hugely talented and the lead singer was just wow it's just great um, oh riviera dogs riviera dogs sorry yeah. <laughs> and i think darren this might be a good part for you to tell us your um, riviera dog story <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, is this the one? This was the one when they played locally, I believe. Yeah, we walked into the Cromwell Arms in Bobby Tracy. We've been there for about oh, all of 35 seconds, and my wife got caught up on stage to sing along with them, much to her embarrassment. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, she was trying to get them to do it with me, and it was, um, oh, don't you want me, baby, by the human league? <laughs> I said, I don't really think myself and the lead singer singing that to each other would have worked. <laughs> I think it would have been brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it would, yeah. So Riviera Dogs, again, there's a bit of a story. So uh, Jimmy, the lead singer, used to be in, um, and it's just gone straight out of my head now, the big band, Joey the Lips. Oh, yeah. And Joey the Lips, again, played one of the first Glass Embrys for us. Um I think they've been back twice as well. Yeah, they've been back twice. Okay. And so I knew Jimmy from there. And then when he, when he started Riviera Dogs, I've had my eye on them over the last few years. And I always really, you know, on the Friday night especially of the festival, we've kind of got into the thing where I really want to try and put on a really good party, party-style artist. You know, someone who can just, everyone's got to the festival, they're looking forward to it, they've, they've seen the Friday night, but they just want to let their hair down, you know, um, and, and Riviera Dogs just, they're really quality, you know, they're great, they, they know what they're doing. And that's, it shows, you know, we're about kind of giving 
opportunity to new artists and artists that maybe have never even stepped on the stage before, but also giving opportunity to um, the artists that are really working so hard all the time in all these venues all through the year, and just put them on a bit of a bigger platform and and uh, you know and try and spread their names as you know as far as we can. And you know we. we we're not obviously the biggest um, festival in the world, but we can we can use what we've got to help them, you know, get out to a wider audience. So, yeah, love Riviera Dogs, love them. So then there's also another band that blew me away, which was Showhawk Duo, which was performing. I forget which tent it was, but uh, they did a trance set, which was which was great. And uh, there was Darren and I, and with a mutual friend of ours, Liz Law, and uh, a friend of hers. And we're just having a great time. They were smashing. God, I've got stories for everything, haven't I? <laughs> so Showboard Duo, um, we've had them at Glastonbury twice. And the first year we had them, I'd seen them online on a video that had gone viral where they were busking. Um, this is before they'd actually got, you know, they'd got nowhere. They were just busking and doing gigs. And I managed to find them um, through Facebook and messaged them and said we'd really like to get you to our festival and they came down and they did two two sets um, one on the Friday one on the Saturday and the Friday night just blew everybody away and everyone was saying did you see it and anyone who didn't see it who'd been in another tent or whatever went to see them on the Saturday and just you know they, they completely and utterly um, floored everybody. The Friday yeah. The Friday night, they, they were on the garden stage, not the garden stage at the time, but the acoustic stage. On the Friday after the festival, they did the Radio 1 morning show. And that was it. They suddenly uh, were picked up and signed and everything else. And then we managed to get them back. I think it, whether it's the following year or the year after, we managed to get them back. But it amazes, I think they, they are an example of how I work really hard to kind of find the unusual, the the un, the new, the unheard of, you know, um, it's not about being the first to bring it down or the first to think, but it's about just, again, giving these guys a chance. You know, they were busking and it was like, wow, they're amazing. Let's bring them down. Um, but it was a real first time I'd been hit with having spoken to them direct and booked them direct and uh, and they're lovely. They're really funny. And then suddenly they hit the mainstream, the commercial, they're signed up by management. And then, boy, does everything change. Not not for them, they're still them, but to get to them, to talk to, you know, to book them, yeah. everything else changes and, and the barriers go up. And I, I get why that happens, of course I do, but it's, boy, is it frustrating when you when you literally, there are other artists like, who are, who are maybe bigger and more well-known and who are far easier to talk to and get to and, real you know um but showhawk i love and again we were hoping having conversations getting them this year <laughs> so, yeah. now then i think it was two years ago there was um the, the blow monkeys were playing on the main stage and i'd already made a decision that i wasn't going to watch them i wanted to check out a guy called chris barris who was playing on another stage and he just blew my socks off uh, it's incredible to be in a tent in a field in the middle of Devon and you're listening to a guy with a with a fantastic band and he's playing guitar like he wouldn't believe and he's doing the, the whole Hendrix thing and then find out now of course that two years later he's the sort of pin-up boy for Planet Hollywood uh, he's had some successful tours in in a number of countries uh, he's joined the Billy Gibbons supergroup band Wow, he's, I mean, he's just gone on to bigger and greater things. Yeah, he. I have really tried hard to get him. He, he. That year he played was a real last-minute thing, and I can't. I remember it was a, wow, we've got him. Um, but at that point, I think it was quite late in the day, and we couldn't get him on any of the. He was on the Vaudeville stage, I think. So, but that's what I really like is that you can walk into. You know, none of our stages are, are the big. You know, like, like you haven't got like main and this and that. But you know, you can walk into something and come across someone who blows your mind. And um, I, he is on my radar. I promise you to bring back as the headliner. <laughs> he really is on my radar. And and I'm what he. In fact, I think last year we did have him booked. Um, and then he got offered that tour, and that was. You know, he contacted me and said, "I'm really sorry." I'm like, "No, completely understand." 
So yeah, we did have him booked to come back, and I will get him. I really will. You know, we're really about booking artists from the southwest, the artists that are going out making, making waves, and he's up there in the top list. You know, he really is, and I absolutely love what he does. And again, really nice guy. There's a running theme running through this, isn't there? You know, you know, it's, it's about how you are as a person as much. <laughs> then of course, there's um, Echo Town, who are such a hardworking band, uh, uh, brothers who get in the transit and they travel from Cornwall up to wherever they have to, to do their gigs and uh, hefting all of that kit around with them, um, including the didgeridoo, which I guess is problematic in itself. Um, but of course, I think they have now had to hang their their instruments up for a while, which is which is a shame. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Echo Town, um, oh gosh, we put them on, it was like late afternoon. And I do, they're the one that I... It was a really hot year, wasn't it? it was, was it last year before? A really, really hot year. And it's, we were all absolutely, everybody was just sat there kind of trying to survive in the heat. And, and I, I know that they didn't get the, um, what's the word, the exposure that they should have got. You know, people just didn't want to go into the tents. They didn't want to be, maybe if it, later on in the evening when it was cooled down. And it was just a real, they're, they're one of the ones that was like, oh, the amount of people I've said, did you see them? And they're like, oh, no, we didn't, you know. And you kind of go, oh, you missed the trick there, you know. Um, but it, it's really hard. And, and I think that's why I'm so, so passionate about supporting Southwest artists, because then they don't have to travel very far. <laughs> you know, if I, if, you can, I know they've still got to get out and travel to, to get the exposure, but the more, you know, events down here can support their own artists down here, the better. Um, I, I really think that, you know, it's, if we can keep our food local and we, we can keep supporting local businesses and we can keep, you know, it's all about local, isn't it? It's all, you know, you can push local in so many different elements. So why not push local artists and local music and, uh, and allow them to still have a career but there, I had a big discussion with someone actually um, a year or so ago about whether bands needed to go up to London to, to make it. Um, and I passionately believe they don't. Uh, and yet others believe they do. And I just think that's such a pity. You know, you should be able to make it wherever you are. I don't remember, and I'm sure it was last summer, uh, there was a perfect moment in the afternoon when we uh, sat down in the tent and we were listening to Drake's Island. So I think that's uh, Jamie Yost and Matthew Gordon Price, um, wow, you, you'd have to go a long way to hear a band like them, kind of a Jose Gonzalez type of music, if that's uh, not too far off the mark. Uh, just, just fantastic. And to know that you've got this talent down in the southwest, um, I think the Plymouth-based, just, just fantastic. Yeah, and do, you know, the more the more you get out and play live, that's you know, it's going back to what I was saying about being at a concert and that feeling that it gives the audience when they're watching a live production. You know, to see an, an artist live, um, Lonely Eddie, I'd, I'd heard a million times in the run-up to the festival, you know, we played him, we'd, we'd watched him online, everything, and then the moment I sat down live to watch, even at the festival, I didn't, uh, hands up, I didn't see him play live, I was too busy, um, but when I actually got a chance to sit and watch him live, you know, it does change everything. Going back to Jamie Yost and Matthew Gordon-Price, again, they're part of our family, our Glastonbury family, they're you know what an incredible bunch of musicians down there, um, Fergus Tanner as well, and you know they they can move in and out of all those. They they seem to have got it right. They've got lots of different bands going uh, between them. Drake's Island, the Busketeers, different. You know they can they can chop and change depending on who's available. They're not just limiting themselves. They're thinking outside the box about you know mixing it up a bit. Um, I have to be honest, Jamie Yost is my when when we sat in the production team working in the run up to the festival. Um, ben Malley, who is the technical production manager, he sits opposite me and he's he's my music maestro and if I'm really, really stressed or busy, you know, and I just need a bit of calm, I'll look at him and say, Ben puts the music on and he puts on Jamie Yost. Jamie Yost is just mind-blowing. They all are, but him in particular, I absolutely love what he does. It's just beautiful stuff and really calming, really calming. I did feel sorry last year for uh, Ben Carr. I normally try and make sure that I'm always there for the beginning of the, the festival to catch the, the first acts and listen to all of them all the way through to the end of the day. And at 12 o'clock in uh, the, the tent where it had the bar, 
there was Ben playing, I think it was only myself, and maybe there were a couple of kids whose parents hadn't spotted they'd crawled in there, who'd sat down and, and were, were listening to him. And I just listened to this guy sit down and start playing blues music. And it was almost like listening to a documentary. He was working his way through the ages, through the, the different main artists that you'd have heard through through the decade um just great and obviously felt a bit sorry that he was there on his own but i enjoyed the privilege of seeing him oh ben ben carl well, that's ben's fault <laughs> he wanted to be on then it wasn't it wasn't anything to do with me he really wanted to because he had kids with him um and and uh yeah so we had a lot of ben had ben shocked to change his set time quite a lot with me and um i love him i absolutely love him so i, I was quite happy to to suit him but yeah, that was his request to go on. But again, you know, the, the people that would have watched him, you know, at a festival, for, for someone to stand at twelve o'clock and watch an artist of that caliber, um, that's what I want people to know. That you know, your headliner, your favorite artist might be on at three o'clock in the afternoon, or it's not all about the ones that are on later. It's it's mixing it up and and um, and saying, look, you know, if you get there in the morning, you're going to see some quality stuff. But, you know, um, yeah, he, he had that very first set. I think he was on the garden stage, wasn't he? The one in the bar. And, of course, people are in the bar that early. Well, no, they might be, but no, you were. <laughs> but um, he was fantastic. And, again, you know, we're so lucky. There's just such incredible artists down here that need that exposure. And, and I desperately want to try and help them and and even even um, after the festival and before the festival we're still trying we're still sharing we're still shouting out you know um, as much as we possibly can um, to help these people and, and get them and I cannot wait to get back onto it I really can't <laughs> we've uh, certainly seen Ben a couple of times uh, when he comes to Newton Abbott so that's been a, a privilege for us if you don't mind I've got a, another band I'd like to throw at you oh do I love it it makes me realise I'm doing all right. <laughs> so then I have to mention Haunt the Wood. I saw them and I thought to myself, this is a young band who have got places to go to. They have their own sound. Um, they captivate the audience. It's just fantastic. And uh, I bought the LP off them then and I've since bought the new one that they bought out this year. So it, it's certainly been a great success for me. Oh, Haunt the Woods, I think, were that year were our utter favourite, I shouldn't say favourite, that's the wrong word, they, they, <laughs> they, no, they weren't my favourite, that is the wrong word, it was, they were the artists that I, I knew, again, they were on late afternoon, really hot, didn't get the exposure that they might have got later on, but equally their music, with the lineup we had, we couldn't have put them on later on, it just, it, it wouldn't have worked, but my goodness me, they're incredible, I mean the haunting, epic soaring stuff that they're bringing out blew us away and um, it kind of went under the radar a bit apart from the amount of people who talked about them afterwards you know um, and they they are going to go places they absolutely are and you know what I really love and I and I have to say this is I had no idea that um, one of them is the son of um, what's her name I've got my head's gone blank now <laughs> Who was married to Lenny? The vicar of Dibley. What? Dawn French. Oh uh, yeah. One of them is Dawn French's son, and I heard that on the radio recently when they were being into when she was being interviewed, and she was talking about them, and yeah. it blew me away because I had no idea, and it would have been very easy for them to use her um, as the stepping stone. Do you know what I mean? And I absolutely admire the fact that it was it's never mentioned, never talked about. It was her as a mum that was being really proud and talking about it, because um, us mums are allowed to. <laughs> but yeah. I, I really admire that, you know. And I, I just, and and they're just, they're incredible. They're one of the Ben and I were talking actually before this, and we said they're one of the bands that um, we. I look forward to bringing them back as headliners because I'm sure we will one day. So Emma, can you describe to us what a typical year is? Perhaps from uh, once you close the gates and you you presumably have to start planning for the next year and and putting things in place, and and obviously organising the village. What, what kind of things go into that? And maybe this is where some of your logistical planning uh, skills that you you developed over your professional career and um, where they come into play. It it is it is it's um it's a an all year round thing. 
Um, so after the festival's finished in July, it doesn't switch off. You know, the, the weeks after that is is the um, you know catching up the paperwork and be, and even before the festival is actually happening, we're looking at next year. You know, we have to have plans in place um, for the following year, the launching of the you know the super early bird and the early bird tickets, the launching of um, any graphics and any artwork, any you know planning, any major artists that we're looking at, you have to talk to them years in advance. Now you can't, you know, you have to really be forward thinking about things. And I think you have to think about where you're going. So you know we're already thinking ahead a year or two. Um, but yeah, after the festival's finished and I'm tidying up and paying bills and um, sobbing into my laptop through exhaustion. <laughs> um, I, yeah, tidying up, saying thank you to everyone. You know, we make a real point of sending out thank yous to all the artists and trying to, um, you know, show our appreciation. And, and the reality is we are shattered. You know, all of us are absolutely exhausted and just need to stop thinking for a bit. But, you know, we do all that. And then I have to be honest, I take August off. And when I say take August off, I try and just switch off technology and, um, because it's, it is full on and, and it is just us, this tiny little team. It's me on my laptop, Ben and Merrin come in to help. My kids are there. Um, we have a couple, you know, young, my, my best friends in the village come and sit around the table and we, we're on it 24 hours sometimes. You know, the run up to the festival, I'm working. I don't sleep much and I'm working all the time just trying to keep up and catch up. We're doing everything from the media to the production to the... Um, just every element there's there's nothing that we out outsource at the moment we just can't afford to so yeah August I kind of switch off um, the launch of the super early bird tickets happens then um, and then come September I'm back starting to you know start thinking about booking traders in looking at lineups um, we try not to program too early just because it's it's kind of educating artists you know I don't want to suddenly program everything and then find that someone applies in February who really ought to be on our stages or so it's you know it's about kind of um, getting the maybe the the ones that you've got to pin down early in and then um, it's quite a slow process but it's just a long process and then obviously you're, you're looking at um, the last couple of years we've had a lot of challenges you know we, we moved uh, fields and arena fields last year so that took an awful lot of pre-organization because we had to go for new licenses new site plans everything and um, that takes a lot of time a lot of energy a lot of work uh, and this year there were other things happening that again were taking up um, a lot of time um, and then have come to a abrupt full stop um, but yeah it's it's a full-on the, the autumn is very much planning the traders and the um, the food and the artists starting to talk to people, look at how we want things to be this year. Um, and then by January it is full on then, it's paperwork, administration, um, just media, you know, PR is massive, marketing is massive. Um, and then the awards that keep happening, you know, you, by the end of the year you get one award ceremony and then you get another, we're so, I mean we are so blessed and so lucky but you know the Devon Tourism Awards is in November and then the Southwest Tourism Awards in January. So when that happens, you've got a lot of work to do alongside that. You know, it's it's not something that comes just easy. You you have to work really really hard to even be considered, um, and and then you have to prove yourself. And and um, and then alongside that, all the PR that you get from that, you know, how the planning and the marketing of things. So. Uh, yeah, there are times in the year that I absolutely dislike because <laughs> it's not my passion, but I have to do it. And then there are times that, um, that the four or five months in the run-up, January, February onwards, is just full on, you know, um, apart from now. But yeah, usually, usually now it would be every day, 18-hour days, you know, just to keep going. And that's purely because we have such a small team and... and um, as far as the core team that actually run it um, and then I have the most amazing group of people who come out and actually make it happen and put it on um, but yeah it is, it is us doing everything. And tell me this there must be some sort of strange dynamic that takes place because I'm not quite sure how big Denbury is as, as a village but let's find ourselves this is a village 
suddenly find one weekend a year um, they put all of the effort on to, to obviously welcome all of the guests uh, that come along for the festival and obviously the bands and the people supporting the bands. Um, but then that's a large number of people who then descend on to a relatively small village. So so we have uh, up to 5,000 people at the festival. Um, I don't want it to be any bigger. I don't want it to... Um, I want it to stay the safe um, little... Unique is the wrong word. I'm trying to think of the little word that I'm looking for. Um, family friendly? Yeah, like family friendly. And, and to do that, you know, people have said take it into another field, take, have more than one field. But, you know, I want a, fa a parent to be able to know their child is in the same field as them and that they can see them in the distance still maybe or... Um, mm. I want them to know that they're safe. I want people to feel comfortable. I, I kind of still, I like that cross between a village fete and a festival. It's kind of dipping your toes in a festival without feeling like you're going the full hog. So I really kind of want to keep it like that. The, the village we live in, Denbury, is just the most glorious place. We have 300 houses. Um, we have a massive mix of people living here. Um, I would say that out of the people living in the village is about 40 of us who are all really really close friends and they're all something to do with the festival you know my neighbor Jan who is um, she's in her 60s she's she's in charge of the gates and the, and the ticketing and letting people in she absolutely loves it you know and and then we have a whole team of people who set the bar up and run the bar for me you know my best friend Jill um, you know, sits and plans the bar and what stock we're going to bring in. You know, we run it all ourselves. So, um, and and then we have other people in charge of. Um, I have Clarky, my partner, who's site manager. Um, much to his, <laughs> he kind of looks at me and grins. But you know, um, and Breezy, um, Andy Breeze, and John Lorenko, and they're they're all like a team of guys who. They're, some of them are farmers, chimney sweeps, landscape gardeners, but they all come in and they know how to run a festival now and they know how to set up a site. And um, over the years, you just watch them. The first couple of years, there was a lot of direction from me and a lot of, right, now you need to do this, now that's how you need to do it. A lot of questions coming back. Is this all right, Emma? Is this what, how, you know? Now they just go and do it and it makes me so proud. They, their skill sets have grown enormously and they're, they're such a capable bunch of people from every aspect of, of running an event you know um, and then the teams that we bring in the security teams um, who've been with us for years now and the production teams who are my you know close friends have all been with us and, and I've watched youngsters grow you know youngsters that came in as stewards and now running stages youngsters that came in as volunteers are now in charge of Ben Malley actually came in as an artist years ago and started running the sound on the acoustic stage and he now runs the sound across the whole festival um, Mary came in as a photographer when she was 15 and she's now my next you know second in command running the whole lot um, and is now in the events industry herself after having finished uni she works for an event company uh, you know and in between comes and helps with the festival so yeah it's a it's an eclectic team but boy are they experienced and I think their, their skills come from uh, being out there in the real wide world and, and I suppose my skill is recognizing their talents and recognizing their strengths and bringing them and putting them into a, a place where they can grow and develop and use those skills you know so yeah it's uh but i love the fact that i get not just those kind of people but you know um an older lady who maybe is really scared about coming on her own so she comes as a volunteer behind the scenes and then the next thing you find she's running something you know or or the young girl who came volunteer and then one year our, our knitting tent didn't turn up and she said Emma I love I love knitting and all of that I can do it and so last year she set up the knitting tent we had all herself and run it the whole weekend and so she'll now take that that and take it elsewhere one day hopefully you know and I that's what I love I love watching that happen you know it means a lot to me that I make sure that I'm around when the the festival takes place so we organize our holidays around it so I wait for confirmation of the date when it's being held before we then start planning our holidays for, for that year. Oh, Phil, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, right. we do. We, you know, the date that I set for Glastonbury is always in a school term. Um, and I was really passionate about um, doing that because, you know, it, I don't want to clash with other events. I don't want to clash with families wanting to go and sit on the beach or 
Um, and and that's why we we stick to the Friday and the Saturday, and we don't go into the Sunday because people want to be able to wake up on the Sunday and make their way home slowly and get ready for school or work the next day. Um, and and you know, it kind of I'm not going to try and change what we are. We are what we are, and it's it's. Um, but we're lucky. We've got people coming from all over the country now, and people are now kind of. You know, um, whereas it used to be more locals, it's now edging to you know, um, and I, I just hope I, I desperately want the locals to buy the tickets first because I would hate to think one day it all sells out and they can't get a ticket. But it's yeah, I'm not gonna. People are always trying to say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you change? Why don't you go longer? Why don't you put in other fields and all of that? But it's like no, it is what it is, and that's why people love it. Um, and I'm not gonna try that. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. For me, it's about the feeling that someone gets when they come through the gates, and they go, "Oh, we're home, we're back." It's, one one child said to me, um, one dad said to me the other day that his child said it's better than Christmas, and that to me was the biggest compliment because <laughs> they just couldn't wait for that feeling of that. It's Glastonbury, yeah, and that to me, that's like, wow, everything's worth it, you know. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I hope we have many more years of it. Oh, you will. You will. I'm. I'm very determined. <laughs> Bit stubborn and very determined. <laughs> it is. It is a challenge. I will be honest. It's um, a massive challenge, and it puts a lot of pressure on us as a family, and um, it puts a lot of pressure on my friends. You know, they work really, really hard, but they. We're all passionate about it, and if I, you know, when you people often say, you know, why are you doing it? Someone actually said to me when I when I you know I said it's not about money or anything. Boy, it definitely isn't about money. Um, and they said, well, why are you doing it then? And I was like, well, because people do things not for money. You know, money isn't actually why you go out. If you want um, a job that's absolutely, you know, is giving back to people and helping and in some way, then you know, then you do it. If you've got a passion for something, then you you know, it's the best job in the world, isn't it? So. Um, yeah, I, I am very blessed. I feel very blessed. But I have to say, yeah, it's very challenging, and especially this year. Um, well, the last couple of years has been. And but you know, I, I have faith. Keep the faith is my motto, in the words of John Bon Jovi. And I have faith it will it will be all right. So, David, I guess we're on to the Hollywood collection, are we? I have a friend, Mark, who's rediscovered his love of uh, vinyl and he's looking to build up a new collection from, from scratch. He's got a few already, but what we're doing is we're asking each of our guests to recommend one album they think anyone who is starting a collection should have in there as, as one of those important records that creates a foundation for uh, the collection to grow. <laughs> okay, so yes, I did have a conversation with Darren about this before. Um, well, like I said to him, if I didn't, if I didn't say that he ought to be listening to my two family bands, Kindred and Cold Lips, <laughs> um, then I might be on and courted as I finish this interview. Um, so yeah, first of all, please, please head that way. Listen to two young bands. Kindred and Cold Lips, definitely. Um, Cold Lips is streaming on all platforms. Uh, Kindred have yet to release music, but they're working on it. Um, but the one, the one album that I actually can go back to um, as being the one that absolutely got me into any kind of music um, was The Sound of Bread, um, released back in 1977. Um, it was played constantly in my house and every single song David Gates as the songwriter I think is phenomenal I, I was lucky enough to see him live in London gosh about 20 years ago um, and he reduced me to tears in the audience over one of his songs I mean it was just the most emotional moment and I just absolutely love bread and uh, you know and my children do now my, my children have listened to it and have been brought up with it um, and we all sing it, and the girls sing it in the band, and, and I definitely think if he has not got the sound of bread, he needs to get to the sound of bread, definitely. <laughs> Amazing, thank you. 
I think if, if I rummage deep enough into my collection, I might have that one in there somewhere. Do you know, I've got a feeling that I have that record in my collection and may not have ever played it. Oh, Darren, that's terrible. <laughs> awful. I, I'm I tell you what, I'm the two the two songs on there that I absolutely love that um one is if it's just called if yeah um and I think that you know when you listen to the words and you listen to um it yeah it's it's beautiful and the other one is the guitar man I mean that is just an absolute classic I I just love it you know um yeah go go and listen to it when I when I saw David Gates live as well he Gosh, yeah, what what a songwriter, um, and and kind of under the radar as you've just shown. It's it. Bread is one of those things that either people have people say, oh my goodness me, I listened to them all the time when I was younger, or or they say, gosh, I think I know who they are, and then they listen to them. Oh yeah, you know, but beautiful yeah. songs, beautiful beautiful songs, beautiful melodies. And can I just say, I know that's supposed to be the end of the interview, but can I just give a shout out to some of the artists that are doing incredible online live streaming at the moment um I, I really think i we haven't talked about this but if we've got time quickly um mm. this whole thing has just brought people well people have just suddenly thought how can i get my stuff out there and i'm absolutely loving watching artists whether it be the big names in the world you know who are just going out raw from their living room with no production you know no fancy clothes on no makeup and they're just sitting talking. I was watching Graham Norton uh, over the last few weeks and he's had artists, he had Christine and the Queens from mm. her living room last week, just on a, on a phone probably, you know, um, and, and Gary Barlow and the Crooner sessions, you know, um, just there's no kind of, they're, they're not hiding behind anything, they're just going, come on, let's just sing, you know, let's have some fun and sing. And I'm loving watching this and some of our artists um, that are doing this, um, and there are loads, so I can't name everybody, but you know, Semantics, um, Sadie Haller, um, Matthew Gordon Price, and Jamie Yost, Rodney Brannigan. I don't know if you caught Rodney Brannigan um, at the festival, guy with two guitars. I mean, he just he did a live show last night from outside his house, and he said that he he did it last a couple of weeks ago, and some of his neighbours walked past, and of course, they probably didn't even know what he did for a living. And then he set up a live stream last night and sat there with two guitars, playing two guitars at the same time outside his house. Um, I love I love him. So Rodney Brannigan, the virtual pub, which is, um, I don't know if you've caught the virtual pub, but they're, um, they, they're starting to bring together all these artists and put live streams in one place. Um, and there's quite a few people. And I watched Rue, um, who is she's just fantastic. I watched her live stream the other day. She was actually booked to play this year with us. So yeah, there's there's so many live artists out there, and I and I do feel at the moment it's sometimes you, there's too much online, and we're all kind of we you know we're kind of like a bit overwhelmed with all these different live streams. But I think it's really important that people see what's out there, and if if you get invited to something, just go and see what it is, even if you watch it for five minutes. You know, um, it, there are some incredible artists doing stuff, and they're all trying to think outside the box now about how to how to get out there. I was watching Entertainingly Different this morning, Rob Pudner doing, he, he was Cupid at Glastonbury, um, and I was watching him do his rise and shine this morning for the children from his house in his garden, and he did the most amazing show, and I, you know, even as an adult, I absolutely loved every minute of it, um, and so yeah, just every, I just urge everyone to go out, and um, I really think this whole thing is teaching artists a whole nother uh, level about how important it is not to try and hide behind um, an image or a, a pretense or a clean production or anything like that and just get out there and make that music you know get out there and put it out there doesn't matter how just do it so yeah sorry I just need to give a shout out for that and the other thing is the poetry I know it's, it's not music but um yeah check out the poetry you know check out what our artists are doing and um people like Gecko who you know is kind of musical um, spoken word and stuff you know it's fantastic stuff and I yeah I'm really I'm really proud of we're in we were having conversations about how as a festival we can support artists and and possibly doing live streams on the festival site pages and stuff and also over the festival weekend if we can't run that weekend how can we do it online how can we hold our festival online with all our artists and you know bring the team together and um, and get everybody all 
all in one place. So yeah, we're having talks about that to see how we can make that happen. Great, we can have our own virtual festivals from within our own homes. Won't we just? Glitter and everything. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Thank you very much. That was really, really nice. You're welcome. And you guys keep doing what you're doing because this is what it's all about. And, and I hope you continue to do this even after, if we ever get back to a, a normal world, um, <laughs> doing this because it's absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much, Emma. It's been a, a wonderful conversation. Um, enjoy the rest of the day. Yeah, we will. Thank you.